The Charles Adler Show starts now. In this country where the opposition leader, and he's doing great, uh, he's doing gangbusters in the polls, okay? If there's an election today, Pierre Polyev wins, wins a majority. I'll, I'll stipulate all that, but it, it's irrelevant to me because how a person uh, behaves, how, how they comport themselves is far more important to me than the moment-to-moment poll. So we've got a situation where the opposition leader does not want to get national security clearance because it's easier for him to do his anti-Trudeau PR if, frankly, if he doesn't know what he's talking about with respect to national security. So he doesn't want to get the clearance. People want to give him a pass for that, whatever. But now he doesn't even want to use Google uh, because simply by using Google or or Bing or any other uh, search engine, he could find out that what he's inveighing against is is nonsense. And to explain all of this, we brought on one of the best in the business from the National Observer in Calgary. This is Max Fawcett. Max, welcome back. Thanks for having me back, Charles. So what is Quint and and why can't Pierre Polyev simply Google Quint and, and find out that he's his his propaganda is nothing but propaganda? Yeah, I mean in fairness in fairness to Polyev, uh, which is not a phrase that tumbles out of my mouth very easily but uh you know i didn't i was not familiar with with quint uh until until this big kerfuffle yesterday um but it's a group of of five uh countries all either having nuclear weapons or have nuclear weapons on their territory um so it's germany the united kingdom the united states italy and france um and they uh, it's it dates back to i believe the mid 80s uh so it's a sort of a, a cold war um uh era thing uh that continues on and, and they meet and talk about things i guess that are relevant to that their shared interests and and so they put out a statement um basically you know calling out hamas and, and the, the horrific behavior and, and saying that they stand with israel and and you know the conservatives who are just on a hair trigger for anything uh the, that they can use against justin trudeau and and anything that confirms their belief that he's weak he's not respected etc cetera, etc cetera. they saw this as as canada you know sort of being left out of out of the the big kids table um in in fairness you know it, again there i go again um the american statement didn't say anything about quint uh it was the british statement that came out that mentioned the group and you know, by that point, we'd had all these MPs and conservatives saying, oh, this is just, you know, another example of Canada, uh, you know, foreign policy under Trudeau. We're, we're a joke. We're not taken seriously. Um, the journalists who reported on it, to their credit, either deleted their tweets or posted retractions because they're, that's what they do. They're, they're, they're good at their jobs. But nobody in the conservative community has backed away from this. I mean, Brian Lilly, who I don't really consider a journalist, wrote a whole column about how uh, well, yeah, we're not in that group, but but that's because you know we're not respected, and it's like no, Brian, it's because the word literally means five. There's five countries; they can't Quint. have more than Quint. five countries. So, uh, you know, uh, it, it's sort of a one of those little uh, temperature checks on on yeah. the state of our politics, and and it's just a reminder uh, that we're not as serious about serious things as we should be. So let me name some serious countries. Uh, I think everyone watching or listening can agree are serious countries. Japan is a serious country. Uh, Australia is a serious country. Uh, neither of these countries, uh, not, not their politicians, not their journalists, not their so-called journalists, not their podcasters, nobody uh, that I know of in Australia or Japan complained that they weren't part of the press release and that they're not part of Quint. So, 
So, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that Canada is not a serious country, but the level of inferiority complex, and as you say, hair trigger about, oh, Canada's not taken seriously. It must be the prime minister. What, what, what is it about being Canadian that gets us upset about, about a press release like this before there's any investigation as to why these five countries are these five countries? Yeah, I mean, I think I think you sort of you you said it there. It, it is an inferiority complex, and and I think we've always had to some extent, um, you know, a, a bit of a an inferiority complex with respect to the Americans, uh, you know, with respect to uh, the rest of the world. There was sort of a moment there. It feels like about twenty years ago, where it felt like we were kind of uh, ascending a little bit on the national on the international stage. You know, we. we talk about our peacekeeping efforts all the time we sort of became known as this great peacekeeping nation um but we haven't we haven't put the the work in uh, i don't think and that, that's not a, a liberal thing or a conservative thing it's just a canadian thing um you know we haven't spent the money on our on our defense budget that we need to spend we haven't invested in our relationships internationally to the extent that we need to and and I think to some extent, if you're if you're one of our allies, uh, especially you know closer to these sorts of conflicts, you kind of look at Canada as as a nice to have, but not a need to have. Um, <laughs> and it's up to us if we want to change that. Are we supposed to be upset about not having nuclear missiles in Canada like they have nuclear missiles on the soil in Germany and Italy and France and UK and of course the USA? I mean this. Are we feeling left out because we don't have nukes? I mean, I think the conservative playbook is we're supposed to be upset about everything, right? <laughs> we're supposed to we're supposed to be um, mad and angry and upset yeah, and infuriated, and, and you know, there's there's a there's a boy who cried wolf aspect to this, uh, you know, and maybe that plays into how the next election goes. But if you're constantly trying to get people upset about the tiniest, dumbest little thing. Um, when it really matters, when it when it re- when we really need to be upset, people don't have the energy for it. I mean, certainly the conservative base that is sort of perpetually angry will will reliably get angry about it. But you know, the broader population that really moves these issues, uh, they they kind of tune this stuff out. I think they just look at at you know folks on the conservative bench and go, well, there they go again. I guess you know can't be that important because they're always doing this. Uh, and I think especially with something this serious, you know, like there's a kind of selfishness at work that we're making it about us, right? This is not about Canada, uh, what's happening right now. It is about Israel. It is about, you know, the people in Palestine, in the Gaza Strip who are, you know, terrible things are happening. And and obviously, you know, uh, Israel has a right to defend itself. And and, uh, this is, you know, one of the worst incursions, worst uh, terrorist attacks uh, of all, pretty much all of our lifetimes, uh, you know, like this isn't about domestic politics. It's not about Trudeau. It's not about our inferiority complex. And maybe we should all just be quiet about that kind of stuff and save it for later. Yeah. I mean, we like to say serious and serious implies mature. There's, there's nothing mature about uh, any of this. Uh, speaking of Israel and, and Hamas, can you help me with, with something here? Uh, it, it's not about opposing the idea that Palestine has a right to exist as a nation just as Israel does. I don't want to go into all of those rabbit holes. I'm a moderate on all things, including Israel and Palestine, just as most Israelis are moderates and believe in a 
and a two-state solution. But right now, that's not even close to the issue. So can you help me explain why so many progressives, including some union leaders in, in Canada, insist on bringing up the Palestinian-Israeli issue as opposed to just doing what we would do if this same set of atrocities had happened in any other country, including our own. So I just like, why does a progressive have to be such a, a useful idiot for Hamas uh, to make progressive points? I've always been a supporter of the Palestinian people and their, their right to, to self-determination. I've had a few people on Twitter mock me for, I had a Palestinian flag on my, my uh, Twitter X profile a while, a while back, uh, you know, but you have to look at the facts on the ground. Uh, you, you can't just sort of um, react. And I think a lot of, you know, the union groups, whatever, they, they reacted without realizing this is different. This is so different, right? You know, this is, this is, this is a, an invasion <clears throat> of, you know, the state of Israel. Um, some of the things that are coming out about what has happened is, is horrific, you know, like a trigger warning for people here, close your ears, but like, you know, like children, babies being beheaded, uh, you know, just really awful stuff. And, you know, for anyone with any sort of historical memory, obviously this is traumatic for, for the Jewish community, for people in Israel. It reminds them of the, the history that required the state of Israel to be created in the first place. Um, and so I think, you know, if you're a progressive and you have these, you know, you have this sort of entrenched criticism or, or um, in, uh, not hostility, but just, you, you know, uh, crit- critical eye towards Israel, just need to park it you know, and be a human being and empathize and say, this is awful. Um, you know, this is awful for everyone, but it's especially awful for the people who, whose, uh, territory is being invaded. And, you know, if you want to say something bigger picture, you know, hopefully this, this, uh, you know, when it all settles out, we can, we can have a conversation about how to never have this happen again. Right. But as soon as you get into, you know, root causes and, and both sides in it, uh, it, it just looks really, really tone deaf and, and, you know, I think, look, that stuff from QP that, you know, that local out of McMaster that, you know, said the, some very ridiculous things, they're going to use that against unions for the next 20 years. That is going to be and that a... Local, just, just, but just so we're clear, uh, the the local was McMaster, which is just you know, one yeah. relatively small local, but it was supported by the leader of QP Ontario. Yeah. And then they doubled down, I think, last night saying that they were being pursued by the Israel lobby or something like that. Like, Yeah, which is their kind of an Elon Musk attitude. You know, Gee, uh, the reason I'm not making money is because the Anti-Defamation League is after me. I mean, exactly. I it's mean, just you weak. Know, it's weak. And you know what? If you're a union, maybe maybe stick to advocating for things like <laughs> better pay, better wages, better working conditions, and stay out of global politics and, and the Middle East. But anyways, that, that was a you know, that was just such a massive miscalculation. And, like you know, unions across the country, unfairly, are going to be tarred with that for, you know, the next 10 or 15 years. So uh, everyone, you know, would do well to uh, to look at the facts on the ground before they sort of form their opinion, uh, because there's a cost to that. So I uh, owe it uh, to our viewers, listeners to uh, say here what I, I've said on on Twitter or X, as it's now known. And this is uh, in light of uh, QP's position of that particular local's position and the support from uh, QP Ontario. And I, I simply said that nothing shreds the moral authority of a progressive like enabling the propaganda of Hamas. So spare me the sophomoric prattle about colonialism. Gaza 
Gaza is a colony for Hamas. Hamas treats the people of Gaza like lepers are unfortunately treated. It might as well be called a leper colony. If only progressives knew more about Hamas's contempt for human rights, women's rights, LGBTQ rights, and workers' rights. Max Fawcett, is there anything about that that you want to kick away before we move on? No, I, I think that that is, uh, that is really, really good and insightful. I mean, if you're going to, if, if those are your values and those are good values to, to stand up for marginalized people and, and, and you know, stand up for the rights uh, of, of, you know, women, the LGBTQ community, et cetera, then yeah, you kind of have to look at what's, hap- what's actually happening uh, in Gaza and, and understand that Hamas is not, um, you know, is not equivalent to the Palestinian cause. It has become, uh, you know, for a variety of reasons, the, the representation of the Palestinian cause in Gaza, but uh, they are not Palestine and Palestine is not them. And, and the, the way in which they behave, the treatment uh, of the people there uh, is, is an outrage. I mean, that's what, that was sort of my only comment at the outset of, of this whole thing was, uh, can I swear on the podcast? Well, I'd, I'd rather. Okay, I won't. I said, I said, I said Hamas can get fudged. Um, okay, all right. You know, no, that's fine. That's because fine. they're an enemy of peace and an enemy of the Palestinian people. Of course people. they are. Of course and, they are. And, 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 and how do you, sorry, but I, how do you go into Israel? And I'm not, I'm going to leave out the business about the babies, okay? Because I, I don't need to do the business about the babies. How do you go and massacre civilians, whether they're at a rock concert or they're in a crib? How do you massacre civilians and not know that your own people in Gaza are going to get it in the teeth, unfortunately? They're going to be called collateral damage, but they're going to die. Uh, they're going to be out of a home. Uh, they're going to suffer uh, for a very, very long time. You know that you're putting the lives of the people of Palestine in Gaza at risk. So I just don't understand how any objective person in Canada, the States, whatever, whether they're called progressive or not, how can anyone say that Hamas is fighting for the Palestinian people? There are, there, there are no people in the world who will be put at risk more than the Palestinian people because of the way Hamas conducts its, its, its disgusting business. Yeah. And I mean, the leaders of Hamas, of course, retreated into the, the tunnels and, and safe spaces under Gaza and left the people that they put in jeopardy to, to face the brunt of Israel's response. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, the biggest threat to the Palestinian people in Gaza is Hamas. Um, you know, I, I think part of the answer to your question there is, is there is a bit of sort of anti-Semitism that lies underneath um, some of the uh, opposition to Israel and, and uh, the sort of reflexive uh, willingness to criticize it uh, and make it the bad guy here. Uh, you know, look, Israel has conducted itself, I think, dishonorably in a lot of ways uh, in the way it has treated the Palestinian people. But in this moment, um, it has a right to defend itself, and it has a right to defend its people. So at this moment, you would say that with, with, with so many people uh, supporting Hamas, uh, there, 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 there's got to be a little bit of anti-Semitism in there because uh, th- those same people would not be enabling uh, uh, any terrorist organization committing exactly the same acts on people anywhere else in the world, regardless of the, the root causes. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't see how how else you can kind of square that circle. I uh it's a special case and, and there's maybe something a little bit ugly about the way some people treat that special case. Um, but the left has a lot of soul searching to do. And, and, you know, there, there's some good people 
on Twitter, on X, whatever, uh, who, who are on very clearly on the left, who have been calling this out, uh, who have been sort of saying, like, we, this is not progressive politics, what people are doing here. This is, uh, this is something very different. And we need to, we need to pull our shorts up here and, and do better than this. So I do think there's going to be some internal soul searching uh, in certain parts of the progressive community, um, you know, in the same way that I think conservatives, uh, after you know things like the the trucker rally in Ottawa, maybe that you know certain parts of that community said we got to do better than this. Like we cannot be egging these people on and and kind of enabling this stuff. And I think there's a similar uh, duty uh, of responsibility on the left. Max, we're getting mixed signals out of uh, Calgary, and I don't want to uh, get into the Danielle Smith thing here. Uh, I want to put that on pause for, for just a moment, uh, keep this as, as national as possible. Uh, nationally, the um, notion right now is that Calgary is the land of milk and honey, that apartments and, and, and houses are uh, much uh, more cost-effective. Uh, the affordability uh, crisis is not nearly as bad uh, in Calgary. Uh, there are stats indicating that people uh, from all over Canada are moving to Calgary more than they're moving to any other city in the country. So you're on the ground, you've got your eyes and ears tuned better than anyone I know. Is some of this hype or is Calgary because of the price of oil and whatever else overflowing with opportunity right now? I think Calgary is amazing. I always, I always have. And especially uh, over the last few years, as I think the, the quality of life dividend here kind of just keeps getting bigger compared to, to the bigger, the, you know, the more overpriced centers, let's say in the rest of the country. Um, Ironically, the and I know you said we can't talk about it, but the biggest thing standing in the way of that is our provincial government. Um, you know, like we have great weather here, uh, great, you know, uh, housing is half as expensive, maybe cheaper in, in compared to Vancouver and Toronto. It's a big city. There's lots of great restaurants. And, the, you know, the mountains are 45 minutes away. Uh, I've never seen a city that embraces dogs and pets more than, than Calgary. Uh, it's just amazing. But we have a government that is determined it seems to kind of mess with that, that formula. Uh, you know, they want to start a fight with Canada. They want to, you know, get the separatist thing up and running. Uh, we saw how that went for Quebec, uh, and its economy. Um, you know, so it's, it, things are good now, uh, if you can stay underneath the politics, um, and if the politicians don't mess it up, but, uh, I don't have a lot of confidence as you can probably imagine that, that our current provincial government here isn't going to bet at all, uh, on their sort of uh, their ideological hobby horses and, and the things they want to do. And if you're a Canadian in Toronto or other parts of the country and you look at that, you go, yeah, good house, you know, housing is cheaper, really nice sort of opportunities to, to get outside. But do I really want to move into the, the eye of a hurricane? You know, do I really want to move to a place that's trying to take half of the Canada pension plan and doesn't believe in climate change? Like that stuff is a huge... Um, no factor, I think, for a lot of people. And, you know, right now, maybe the cost of living stuff is just brute force outweighing it for, for some folks. But, you know, the, the louder the noise comes from Alberta on this stuff, the more people in the rest of the country are going to start hearing it. Now, more with Charles Adler. So let's uh, make this personal because that's that's what we do here. And by the way, I wasn't opposed to getting into the Danielle Smith thing. I just I just wanted to nail down whether or not uh, I just wanted to set the table. Is it true that Calgary right now is a real affordable land of opportunity for people from across Canada? And I didn't want that. Uh, I, I wanted to nail that down before we went on to Danielle Smith. But what we have 
So the the, the piece about uh, Smith and, and and separatism and talk about separatism and um, the position against uh, climate change, even the position against uh, makes no sense to me. But uh, the, the the moratorium on uh, on alternate energy uh, projects, I don't, don't understand why Calgary can't be the the center of the Canadian universe on. Uh, whether it's fossil energy or alternate energy, I, I don't understand why anyone who's pro-free enterprise would want to turn that down. But if you were in Vancouver right now, you were hearing exactly the same talk that you're emitting right now. Would you pause? Because you used to live in Vancouver, that's what I'm asking. Would you pause and, and choose against the idea of moving to Calgary from Vancouver because of the provincial politics? I mean, I'm wired a little differently than most people. I like fighting. Um, so I would probably <laughs> be more than happy to come on board here. Uh, you know, I think, don't even get me started about Vancouver's problems. I think Vancouver is a destroyer of young people's dreams. Um, and, you know, I always tell people who ask me from Vancouver, um, you know, the beauty of Calgary is that you can actually save money for your future. Uh, you can, even with the increased sort of cost of living, even with our ridiculous utility bills here, which are entirely the, the fault of the provincial government it's just you have a you have hope you have the the ability to dream on the fact that you can you know you can buy a house you can save for the future you can provide for your family and that dream does not exist in vancouver or toronto uh except if you win the lottery or you know uh a, a long lost uncle bequeaths you with a million dollars so i still like that combination uh of factors here but yeah if you're if you're risk averse uh the idea that they're going to mess around with your pension, the idea that they're, uh, you know, possibly going to be sort of going down this road of, of further whipping people into a, a frenzy over separation, that might be too much for you. Um, and ironically, you know, things are getting more expensive here in terms of house prices. So uh, as that gap uh, closes, you know, if it closes far enough, then that card is off the table for a lot of people. So, you know, just as in every other part of the country, uh, we need to be building more housing here in Calgary than than we currently are. So about uh, this business of the destroying uh, the dreams of young people, I realize that uh, there may not be as much sympathy in Canada as there ought to be uh, for all people. And when I say all people, um, including young people who happen to be students in Canada, the reason there's students here is because in many cases they want to eventually become Canadian. But the reason they're students here from the perspective of uh, the universities uh, is simply because they can charge uh, these uh, foreign students almost anything they want and and get it. So some people call that a, a racket. I guess it is, but it's a, it's a legal one. Max, it just seems that some of these kids are being exploited in terms of how much they're being asked to pay. But beyond that, they're being exploited by all sorts of employers. And I wonder if you could just uh, give us a a feel for that because I just, um, you know, call me, uh, uh, you know, the Casper milk toast if you want to, but I, I just, I, the, the idea that uh, employers once again, who tout free enterprise exploit the hell out of the foreign students uh, because of this whole business of waiting for your PR being stuck with one particular employer, uh, no matter how difficult it is to, to work there. Um, we talk about Canada being a free country. But it's hard to maintain that it's free when you are stuck working for a guy who, as I say, is exploiting the hell out of you. I wonder if you could give me your perspective on why this is happening. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a function, I think, in part of of the labor market that we have right now, which is you know around the world is super tight because just societies are getting older. There's fewer new workers entering the field, and so you know, in some respects, uh, if if an employer has has leverage over an employee, they're they're going to use it, um, even if it's you know kind of ugly leverage like this. But you know, I sort of zoom back to uh, the bigger picture on this stuff and. I think that we have to have a conversation that we're not having, we're scared to have in this country, and that's about immigration. Um, I see, you know, we we are kind of plowing ahead with these these very large immigration numbers, and I and I think progressives are kind of understandably wary of having that conversation because it invites, you know, kind of the the racist end of of the conservative spectrum to 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 make their arguments, and and to be fair, the racist end of the the left as well. Um, but I think we have to have that conversation about about not just how many people we want to um, have in this country, right? You know, the argument is always it's good for the economy, it's good for social services, and those are undeniably true things. But is it good for us, and is it good for the people we're bringing into this country? Because it feels, you know, again, we have a long history of exploiting immigrants. Um, every country in the world does. That's that's kind of the history of immigration is that is that immigrants tend to get exploited, but we can do better than that. We don't have to accept that as the status quo. And and it does seem, you know, on every sort of end or most ends of the chain right now, if you're a young person coming here to study, you get screwed by the university, you get screwed by, you know, your your employer, then you go into the housing market and you get screwed by that. Um, and you're kind of expected to just take it because it's better than whatever uh, you were dealing with where you came from. And that, that might be true. Um, but that's not that's not good enough. Uh, if we're actually going to be a country that that makes immigration a strength, sort of a core value uh, of our identity and of our of our sort of of our power, then we need to do better uh, on all ends of it in terms of making sure people who come here are supported, not exploited, and making sure that we have the supports in place so that people who already live here are not seeing their ho- their housing prices go up. They're not seeing shortages in other parts of their their day to day life, like. We have to maintain um, the system so that it works for everyone. Because if it doesn't, it falls apart, right? And there are much bigger consequences got, got, for that. You've got students coming here and uh, end up working, let's say, for a, a, a restaurant, okay? Uh, and they have to stay at that particular restaurant until they get their PR status, which is permanent residency. Yeah. And, of course, if they don't want to wait, they can be thrown right out of the country. So it just seems... That uh, for the I'm not and I'm not saying that every employer is bad, but but many of them are. They just exploit the hell of these uh, kids. They make them work way more than forty hours a week. When you're a student and you've got to work more than forty hours a week because the employer is demanding it, that also makes it difficult for you to be a successful student. It also makes it difficult for you to be a happy human being because you're stuck there. I don't want to call it slavery. It's not slavery. They are getting paid, but they cannot move from employer to employer like free people can. Yeah. And uh, they're stuck there until they get, and, and and some people listening to this think, well, they just have to wait for a few months. No, some of them have to wait years, years before PR status. How would any person in this country feel if they were stuck working for an employer they couldn't stand for years? And I, I just wonder what it would take, Max, to have a national conversation about that, or are we simply not supposed to care because they're, quote, foreign students, they're, they're foreigners? I think I think there is a degree of I don't want to call it I'm not going to call it anything. I just think that 
right now, especially with, with the cost of living and, and everything that's happening, people are prioritizing their own needs above the needs of people they may not know or have experience with. Um, and to some extent, that's understandable. And to some extent, we can do better than that. Um, you know, it, it's... You're right. It's not it's not slavery, but it's it's a form of kind of indentured servitude in a way. Um, and I and you're right. There are people who go, well, you know, what did they think they were signing up for? They're, they, you know, it's part of the they got to struggle to become Canadian citizens or permanent residents. So be it. Um, but it doesn't have to be that way. Um, if we well, just- of course, it doesn't have to be this way. We were we were refugees and my father was able to work day one. Same with my mother. Yes, they worked in sweatshops, but they, they had the choice of any sweatshop. They could save up a little money after six months or year, two years, buy themselves a little store, which is what they and many others did. Yeah, um, yeah it, was, it was tough, but this is absolutely brutal. If someone had told uh, my mother and father that for years you're going to be stuck in the sweatshop uh, trade at a particular factory and you cannot move, I'm positive that both of my parents would have said, wait a minute. I thought this was a free country. Yeah. And I don't I, mean, I don't think it's a lack of gratitude on the part of people coming here. I I I'm not I'm not suggesting that the you know that the people get put in a in a five-star hotel and be given a room service. That that's not my point at all. I there's something about this that feels I have to say it un-Canadian. Yeah. It just that they don't have the right uh they don't have the freedom like you say to to work where they want to work and make their own make their own way. Um it would be a golden opportunity for a political party like the NDP uh, to to actually represent a, a genuine concern and a genuine need on the part of people who need a voice um, instead of virtue signaling and getting in trouble over sort of global geopolitical things. Like maybe, you know, if if they want to refocus on things that might actually expand their base of support, this would be a very good place to start. Uh, you know, I've, I've I've always thought that uh, you know, the NDP abandoning the, the rights of and the needs of the worker was was kind of a fatal mistake. Um, but there's an opportunity, I think, for them to kind of reengage. Uh, you know, maybe they're not going to ever win over the, the you know, the, the, the oil and gas industry worker uh, just for any number of reasons. But there's so many workers in this country, precarious employees, young people, uh, new Canadians who need a voice. Uh, and need someone they can turn to for support. And honestly, right now, it doesn't really feel like they have anywhere to go. Uh, so that that would be, I think, a pretty good start in that conversation of, of you know how the left kind of refocuses itself. Max, uh, there's still people who expect uh, Justin Trudeau to take a walk in the snow. Let me just ask the basic question. Um, are, are you part of that, that movement that expect? Because, I mean, from my perspective, I just... I don't see it uh, come hell or high water. He wants to fight the next election. And uh, talking about uh, him uh, leaving is really speculative. I see no evidence that he wants to leave. Am I missing something? I don't think so. Um, I My views on it are sort of framed from the perspective of someone who lives in Alberta. And I would welcome uh, his departure. It's nothing personal, but but he has become such a distracting kind of gravitational force out here that it makes it impossible for us to have a conversation about reality. Everything is his fault. Everything is his doing. He is the the sole architect of our woes. And if he if he were only to, to disappear, everything would be rainbows and, and puppy dogs and sunshine here. So 
from the perspective of being able to have the important conversations we need to have in Alberta about our future here and, and its, you know, its impact on Canada's future, him leaving would be a very, very good thing. But I, like you say, I can't see it. Um, there's no one in the Liberal Party right now who can fill his shoes. That's partly on him uh, because he, he didn't sort of, uh, you know, create uh, potential successors. But, you know, f- leaders tend to be bad at that. They tend to not want to create threats. So, uh, you know, I don't think Christian Freeland is going to be the person right now. You know, I've heard some talk about uh, Francois Philippe Champagne. I just don't see that happening. Um, you know, Mark Carney is a nice pipe dream, but I, I, again, I'm not sure that's going to work uh, in the current uh, political climate we have. It would be a big risk to take. And like you said, I think he wants to fight this fight, uh, even if he, even if he's going to lose it. On some level, you know, there's that boxer in him that doesn't want to, to kind of throw in the towel. He wants to, you know, if, if Polyev's going to beat him, he's got to beat him in the ring. Uh, There's a housing minister in Nova Scotia. Have you paid attention to him at all? Yeah, Fraser's interesting. Um, Sean Fraser. Just you know, he's, 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 a, he's at least doing something different. Um, but he might lose his seat in the next election. Uh, the Conservatives <laughs> are going to drop Peter McKay on his head. Um, yeah. And I think he's going to have his hands full with that. So, I, you know, I think, I just... Like you say, I think I think Trudeau wants to do this. He gets the he has the right to call his own shot, um, and I think he's going to call it. Uh, and so we'll see how it goes. Um, you know, they could be one of these situations where it's like his father, where you know he loses and then he comes back. Who knows? Um, but I can't see uh, I can't see him going anytime soon. And and you know, from the perspective of my province and my province's kind of ability to have a grown up conversation, it's not a great thing. I've never, I've never heard you talk this way, Max. Uh, I never knew you were this much of an Alberta nationalist. You're just viewing everything through the prism of someone <laughs> living in Alberta. This is, this is the new Max Fawcett. Well, I, I think, I think Alberta. You're a national correspondent. You're a national writer. Alberta's future is, uh, is very important to Canada's future, especially on climate change. Um, and so that's sort of how I, how I square that circle. I mean, look, if. Okay. If, if, I'm, not, I'm not denying that. I'm just saying in the past when we've had discussions, uh, you, you, you weren't saying that, well, I have, to look, I have to look at this through the Alberta prism. You were very much a national guy who happens to live in, in Alberta. I still am. I still am. And if they, if they, if they take the Canada pension plan, we're probably out of here. <laughs> um, you know, but... Uh, well, first, I don't, I, but seriously, I mean, I, I understand it's good politics for uh, the UCP and it raises some dough, but they, they can't, you know, they, they can't Velcro the Canada pension plan. It would be illegal. No. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying it this just because Ontario and Quebec uh, would, would be down the throats of the federal government if the federal government wasn't concerned about this. I, I think that the, the Canada pension plan is very well protected and well defended. And just because Alberta has an idea doesn't mean that it's going to come to fruition they can't just automatically especially especially the numbers they're talking about i mean can you imagine what would happen in this country if alberta at the at a, at a table of provincial premiers said oh by the way 50 percent of the pension plan is ours i mean can you can you imagine that discussion I, it would be hilarious to watch because all of you know the the smith government's allies in saskatchewan and and ontario and whatnot would turn their guns on her in a heartbeat um but it's all it's all designed the way I think a lot of things are designed in Alberta by conservatives. It's, it's to keep people feeling like victims, right? So what's going to happen here 
is if there's a referendum and if it skates through, and it might not, um, the Supreme Court will ultimately probably be brought in to weigh in on on whose sort of math is is correct. The, the Supreme Court will say that Alberta's math is Looney Tunes, uh, and they will say, well, you can have a, a much smaller portion of the Canada pension plan if you want it. And then they get to they get to say, well, there's Canada victimizing us again and taking our money and denying us what is due. And it's all just this sort of circular thing designed to keep people angry and feeling like victims. And um, I think Canada is stronger when Alberta is not stuck in that mindset. Um, and so that's sort of, you know, why I, I'm thinking of things through that prism is is to get this country uh, to where it needs to be, especially on climate change. Um, Alberta not needs to not be behaving like a child. And right. uh, so, Max, let me just ask you this. Let me just ask. Look, yep. what, what is the what is the real percentage of money in the Canada pension plan that has come from Alberta? Because I'll, I'll, many Albertans, including Danielle Smith, genuinely believe that Alberta has poured so much money into that plan that despite the fact that Alberta is roughly 15 percent of the Canadian population, it has delivered more than 50% of the money. Do we, do we know what the real number is? Yeah, Trevor Toome uh, at the University of Calgary has done some really, really amazing work on this. He's put out a report. He's been kind of sparring with the people uh, who have been trying to carry water for the for the provincial government on this, this nonsense. And I think he pegged it at, I think it was 18% uh, of contributions. It might be a little higher than that. And he sort of said, his math suggests that kind of at an upper 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 limit would be 125 to 150 billion. Uh, because, you know, uh, Alberta has traditionally paid more in because we have more workers uh, than retirees. But you have to account for the fact that the reason why we have fewer retirees is because people leave Alberta and collect their pension plan somewhere else. So that when you look at the, you know, just the raw pension money paid to pension money collected stats, which is what, you know, folks like the Fraser Institute use to make their argument, it ignores the fact there's this huge outflow of Albertans that go to B.C., um, you know, it's why Kelowna is basically Calgary West at this point. Yeah, of course um, it is. It's a suburb. It, Kelowna is a suburb of, of, of Alberta for exactly. But you know, in their in their forty in their late forties, early fifties, late fifties, and, and those people all collect the pension money they paid into in Alberta in BC. So it shows up on BC's ledger, but they're actually really are retirees. So you know, the, I think there's a reasonable figure they can arrive at the. Uh, the provincial uh, Alberta Treasury, I think, did a study back in 2019 where they pegged it at like 80 billion. Um, so it, the numbers are not going to be the 300. And Danielle Smith, but Danielle Smith wants to have a pension fund of in excess of 300 billion, right? Correct, and and she wants that so that she can give people you know lower contribution rates, higher benefits, sure. a one-time bonus. And then she's going to steer that money into supporting the oil and gas industry. Um, that is the long. That is sort of the longer term play here, uh, is to get control of that money so they can they can prop up the oil and gas industry uh, if and when it becomes time to do that. Uh, I think Albertans are smarter than that, and so far the polling shows that they are. But this government is is spending many millions of our money uh, on what is basically a glorified propaganda campaign to change people's minds. Um, and propaganda works, so yeah. uh, we'll see. Keep we'll repeating, see. keep repeating the same big lie. Uh, but just, just, uh, I just want to basically satisfy those people who are listening in all parts of this country on this. Uh, there are many people in Newfoundland. There are many people in other parts of Atlantic Canada. Uh, many in Quebec, Ontario, Manitoba, Saskatchewan. I'm going to have to name them all. It's not just about Kelowna. Kelowna is 
very obviously a, a suburb of Alberta, but you've got many people who worked in Alberta for decades and then took their savings and you know so, sold their homes, uh, took their savings and went back to where they came from, as it were, to all yeah. parts of this country. It's one of the great benefits Alberta has as far as, you know, you talk about the impact on Canada. Um, Alberta has been a great source of opportunity for people from all over the country, many of whom went to Alberta and then went home. And so if you don't include any of them, I guess you can you can be Danielle Smith, but it's kind of ridiculous. Well, and it's it's ridiculous because part of the reason why those people were able to come to Alberta and pursue opportunity and support the oil and gas industry is, is specifically because of the Canada Pension Plan, because they knew it didn't matter where in Canada they worked, that, that those hours would get counted and they would get paid their pension wherever they wanted to live. And if you jeopardize that, um, then you jeopardize the business community's ability to, to attract talent and attract workers. And that's why you have the business community in Calgary uh, very conspicuously coming out and saying, this is not a good idea. Um, you know, this might be a good idea for the oil and gas industry and for, for the, the politicians, but for small business, for, you know, uh, people trying to make, uh, build, build companies here. Uh, this is such a huge deterrent to people coming and working in Alberta. We do not need this right now. Um, and you know, that's one of the great ironies of, of Daniel Smith's government is that it is increasingly an anti-business government, right? You know, they, they, <laughs> They accuse the NDP of being anti-business. And of course, the NDP bent over backwards to try to not be that way. But, you know, they, they put a moratorium on, on renewable energy. They're, they're doing this ridiculous pension stuff. Like they do a lot of things that is very bad for the business community. Um, and at some point, it would be nice if the leaders in that community would, you know, take their voice up a few notches. Right now, they're whispering. You know, it's very low level, just, you know, sotto voce. Oh, maybe this isn't a good idea. If they could you know, get up on their hind legs and maybe be a little louder. Um, that might help to change the conversation. New Year's Eve, I did something I'd never done before. I, I endorsed an NDP leader for premier. I endorsed Rachel Notley. All my, all my buds in Alberta were asking me whether or not I'd lost my mind. I said, no, I just think Notley would be better for business because business likes stability. Business likes predictability. Mm-hmm. Business likes the future. And I just saw Notley as, as all of that. And I saw Smith as extremely reactionary, constantly playing into the hands of reactionaries. And reactionaries around the world have not been good for business. But, you know, some people chose to still call me crazy because how, you know, what about, what about, what about those three letters, Chuck? NDP, do they not scare the hell out of you? Well, with respect to Rachel Notley's NDP versus Danielle Smith's uh, UCP, no, no, they didn't scare me at all. Uh, Max, thank you for standing up for Alberta and for Canada in the same conversation. Happy to do it, Charles. Thanks for having me on. Max Fawcett is a columnist, and he writes for the National Observer. Subscribe, if you will. National Observer, Max Fawcett in Calgary. Thank you so much for joining me right here on the podcast and for telling all of your, your friends about it. You can find us on any of your favorite podcast platforms. I'm Charles Adler. Catch Charles Adler Mondays on Real Talk with Ryan Jesperson, twice a week in the Winnipeg Free Press, and every day at criermedia.co.